Um, so recently we've been working through the book of Ezra, which we finished a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I thought for the rest of the summer it'd be great just to spend some time in the Psalms, enjoying the Psalms together. Um, because the Psalms are so rich, they, it's, it's sort of this, the hymn book of God's people, um, or the prayer book of God's people. And it just gives a real depth of a whole variety of different ways that we can worship God. Uh, whether that's through praise, um, which we're going to look at today, or through lament, um, when we're really struggling or in sorrow, or singing of, of the king, or of his people, or about the enemies. And there's, there's just so much realism. Um, and I, I think the hope is that as we, as we explore these psalms together, we would come out with songs to sing in our, in our lives. Um, psalms to remember and think, I, I want to recite that psalm as we go throughout this week. Um, that's the hope. Uh, so, so we, yeah, we're going to dip into the first one this week. is Psalm, chapter, uh, psalm 8. Um, so if you don't know where Psalms are, just basically open the Bible in the middle and you'll probably end up there. Uh, and then just look for the big eight. Um, so Psalm chapter 8. So let me read it, then I'll pray, and then we'll dive straight in. Lord, our oh Lord, oh, sorry. Psalm 8, for the director of music, according to Gittith, a psalm of David. That is actually in the Bible, so I'm reading that. Um, for the director of music, according to Gittith, we don't actually know what that means, uh, a psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, as we look to this psalm this afternoon, help us to see your majesty. Help us to see your glory. No matter what's going on in our lives right now, help us to lift our eyes to see you for who you are and to see how you care for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a friend of mine last week, um, he took me to a coffee place called The Watch, the watch House. Does anybody, people know it? Some people, oh, some people are nodding. They're like, yeah, okay, so you know, you, you're going to know what I'm going to talk about. He's been, he'd been raving about it all week. So Mike, Mike, the coffee's so good. The, um, the mood, the, what do you call it, the, the ambiance. Ah, oh, that's the way he said it. The ambiance is so cool. I'm like, okay. The banana bread is insane, apparently. I don't really like banana bread, but he's like, it's worth it. And he kept going on about it. Like, oh, man, come on. So I went. I didn't know what to expect. All I knew was I was really underdressed. I was in shorts and a T-shirt. It's not that sort of place. I was like, oh, wow. But man, the coffee was good. The banana bread was insane. I don't really like it, but it was really good. And I ended up thinking, I could see what you're talking about. I could see why you're praising this coffee place. Psalm 8 is the first psalm of praise that we get in the book of Psalms. If you go from chapter 1 through, Psalm 8 is the first psalm of praise. 
Now, did you notice as I read, it starts with this chorus and ends with this chorus. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And my hope is today that that is the chorus that would be on our lips. That we would rave about God, not about coffee. And in this psalm, God shows us plenty of reasons for us to sing his praise. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show us two big things that we see from this psalm. And then I'm going to sneak in two sub-points in each. So there's kind of four points, okay? But there are two big psalms. You're going to see what I mean. Here's the first big reason that we praise God. Because God is majestic. God is majestic. And you see that firstly in his creation. That's the first sub-point, okay? God is majestic in his creation. You see that in verses 1 to 3. That's how it sets it up. God's creation is huge. You have set your glory in the heavens. God's creation is immense. You could write so many verses about it. Other Psalms do, but Psalm 8, it's punchy, it's succinct. It's like a copyrighted trademark sign. When you see the sign, you know exactly what you're meant to do, right? You don't need all the details. When you see the golden arches, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Eat. Yeah, everyone knows the golden arches, surely. McDonald's? Come on. Okay, so you know what you're doing. When the golden arches, you get ready to eat. When you see a swoosh tick thing, what are you, ready, what are you getting ready to do? Run. <laughs> Very good. Uh, when you look over, uh, here's the thing. When you look over every aspect of creation, get ready to praise. Because you're looking at God's trademark. Everything in creation copyrighted by Yahweh. God's hand is plastered all over creation from the smallest details, from the tiniest atom, or whatever you call it now, Higgs boson. I don't know what it's called anymore. I'm not a scientist. But from there, all the way to the grandest mountain ranges, God's hand's all over it. I know people who can do amazing things with their hands and their fingers. Some of you in this room, I know amazing chefs and bakers. I've tasted it. It's good. Better than the banana bread at whatever that place is called. Others are amazing musicians or writers. But you know what? Everything that we as human beings create, we always need stuff to do it. We need ingredients. We need tools. We need something to work with. But God, he creates out of nothing. With a snap of his fingers, he sets the moon in its place. He paints and places the stars with his fingertips. You know what? Every day we wake up, we sleep, we wake up, we sleep. And we know the sun, the moon, and the stars, they sort of move across the sky, right? And science explains this gravitational forces, the orbit, and so on. But Psalm 8 tells us, that we are watching God's fingers at work. Science helps us to understand the how, great, but not the why. See, we know with science that stars aren't just tiny little specks that we see in the sky, but they are huge, immense things of matter and energy. You get too close and you get burned up. But get this. God made billions of those massive stars with his fingers. That is what Psalm 8 is telling us. And he made it all so that we can enjoy the beauty and splendor of his creation. He made it so that we would feel the warmth of the sun on our backs. The coolness of a clear spring in the mountains. The harmony of nature in the deep dark forest. All of this so that we have reason to sing how majestic is your name, God. God is the mighty ruler and king of creation. But the psalmist then takes us deeper Here's a second sub-reason. God is majestic in using weak creatures for his glory. Do you see that in verse 2? Through the praise of children and infants, he silences his enemies. It's actually probably accurately more infants and nursing babies, so we're thinking more globe tinies rather than minis, right? 
And if you ever try to talk to one of the tinies, it's hard. They don't have much vocab. We've had a few newborns recently. We heard about Marikas today. Little Teddy. Ask them, ask Naomi. They can barely lift their head up, let alone say much. All they can do with their mouths is they nurse, they burp, they projectile vomit, and they cry. Lots of fun. My infant, she's almost two, top end of the tinies, right? What can she say? She can say, me, help, poo, pineapple, Samsung. Right, I've had to work hard at that. So, for all the respect of Apple, the girl needs to know who makes the best phones. It's an uphill battle, though, because, um, I mean, as I said, pineapple is one of her favorite fruits, as is apple. I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle. Apple is smart, you know. Anyway, but here's the point. God uses the weakest, helpless things of the world to establish his name. That is what God is showing here. God uses little children to silence his enemies and his foes. Children are weak and vulnerable. I think our culture knows that. If I'm getting mugged in the street, I'm not going to tell my two- and four-year-old to come and help me out. And yet the psalmist recognizes that God uses the weak things of the world, like children, to silence those who stand against him. That is how mighty God is. God is able to do that. God uses treasures in jars of clay to show his glory, his majesty, his kingship. Man, have you ever heard a small child pray? Simple, short, sweet words praising God. No these and thous, but just simply daddies and thank yous. There is something when a kid, a young, small, vulnerable child, praises God, seems to highlight the majestic and mighty name of God all the more than when I pray. And God is saying here, that's the sort of praise I use to disarm my enemies, to silence them. Verse 2, you can almost picture Satan screeching to a halt when he sees God's glory being displayed to the weakest vessels in the world. Picture a child joining their hands, kneeling down to pray. A child singing along to, our God is a great big God. God uses the weak things in the world to display his majesty and glory so clearly. See, do you see the, the point of these first three verses of the psalm? The psalmist wants us to see just how mighty God is as king of the universe and how small we are in comparison. He's the one who painted the stars with his fingers, who snapped his fingers and put the sun in its place. The entire solar system the entire universe, in all its orbits, in all its balance and harmony, that is what God set in place. And we turn our gaze from the universe right down to the weakest vessels that we have in our, in, in our creation, to a small baby, and we see how God uses weak babies like that to silence his enemies. And I want us to pause just for a moment and just ask ourselves this question. How often do we pause to catch breath at the wonders of God's creation? How often do we look up at the night and see the stars? I guess in London, never. But can I suggest this evening, after the service, as you walk out, as you're walking home, just pause and just look around. If the moon's up there, just look at the moon for a moment. Next time you're outside London, look at the stars and just stop and praise God. Try it this week. This week, each day you're walking in your busy London life, just pause for a minute, look, look around at creation, and praise God just for a few minutes. If you're in a really good spot, don't take a camera out. We're so immersed in our culture about consuming views and places, making it all about us, 
But I'd love us as God's people to get into the habit of stopping and not consuming, but worshiping. Look at what God has made. Be still and watch, listen and encounter. And through that, may that bring you to praise God. Here's the other thing to consider. Remember that God uses the weak things of the world like children to show his glory. Well, it's good to pray for the tinies and the minis. We don't just shove them in these rooms so we get some peace and quiet, mostly. The last few weeks, the tinies have been learning that God made everything. Let's pray that they would really grasp it, that they would come out praising God, that their vocabulary would expand from pineapple and apple and Samsung to praise God. Anyway, let's get back to Psalm 8. So why does this matter? If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, you are super welcome. But you could easily sit here listening to that thinking, that sounds all nice, but so what? The first half of the psalm is all about God's great majesty. It should stop us in awe and make us think, man, God is so big, so mighty. And then the psalm pivots. It hinges on this central question in verse 4. Do you see it? What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. See, based on what we've just heard about God's majesty and glory, it should almost lead us to say nothing. Because we are nowhere near as powerful or glorious or majestic as God is. It's like us standing in the presence of some A-list celebrity. Why would they even notice us? Why would God, whose trademark is plastered all over the universe, be mindful of little creatures like us? What about human beings? What's our place in this universe that you've created? And in some ways, this is a question that our culture is constantly trying to answer. What is our place in this world, in this universe? I think there are lots of views and lots of messages about this, but I, I kind of want to pick out two main polarized views of this in our culture. I'm going to give you the first one. This is the Disney view. People like Disney? I like Disney. My kids love Disney. Disney has a high view of humanity. It says, look, we are massively worthy. All you need to do is what? Look within yourself. And there you discover it, meaning and purpose. And once you look within yourself and find it, you fight against anybody who tries to stop you and stifle you, break free from traditions, from social norms, and pave a way to find that happy ending you deserve. It's a high view of humanity. You watch any Disney. You watch Moana, you watch Frozen, the songs are addictive, but they're smart. It teaches this. If you haven't seen them, come round to ours. Our kids, they'll, they'll happily watch it with you. But if there's one view on the Disney side, there's another side, which we've seen in authors like Yuval Noah Harari, if you've ever heard of him. He wrote a book a few years ago called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. It was a bestseller, millions sold. He portrays a much bleaker view of humanity where humans just so happen to be at the top of the food chain, not like Disney. We're there because we have some unique traits that bring us together so we can divide and conquer, often in a destructive way. And he argues that we are at the top of the food chain for now, but not for very long. He reckons that within another thousand years, there'll be another species that takes over. That is a popular view out in the world. 
So there you have two very different voices in our culture trying to make this, this question. Where's our place as human beings in this world? One of them saying, we're, we're at the top and we're worthy. Just look inside yourselves and you'll discover it. The other one's saying, no, 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 we are at the top by chance. And we may not be there much longer. And Psalm 8 sings a tune that cuts through right through both of those. You see, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Psalm 8 says, look, you need to look to the creator God to find that answer. And this is the second big thing I want us to see in this psalm. If God is majestic, this is the second thing. Humanity is made majestic. We are made majestic by God. Look at verse 5. You, God, have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. See, God's majesty is not only displayed throughout creation, but is found in his creatures, in human beings, in us. Verse 5, God has made, God has crowned. See, our status as human beings isn't discovered. It's not discovered or created from within us like Disney says. It's not something that's happened by chance, as Harari suggests, but it's something that's given to us by God himself. God, the king of creation, passes on his kingly status, his royalty unto humanity. Adam and Eve, they were set up as representatives of the king, given authority to rule. Genesis 1 is so clear. Humanity was made in the image of God, a little lower than the heavenly beings. If heaven is seen as where the divines are, where God is, humanity was set right at the top of the earth, closest to the divine beings. Do you see? Now, I've got to say, Harari is sort of right, because human beings, we're not the strongest. We're not the quickest. We're not the tallest. We're not the biggest. The fastest human being on earth, Usain Bolt. How fast did he run the 100 meters? Anyone know? 9.58. Yeah, there you go. 9.58 seconds. Pretty fast. And I looked up how many other animals are faster than Usain Bolt. And I was surprised. The list is huge. Okay, obviously the cheetahs. Yeah, fine. Peregrine falcons. Greyhounds. Okay, ostriches. I get that. Deer. Apparently rabbits are faster than Usain Bolt. I saw another stat the other day. 8% of men think they can beat a lion in a fist fight. <laughs> Who comes up with a question like that? I'm not in that 8%. I'm pretty sure I'll lose. I'm not sure many of us would survive that. That's the thing. Harari is right. It can feel surprising that we are at the top of the animal kingdom because we're actually pretty vulnerable. But Psalm 8 makes it clear that Harari, is, he's wrong. We're not at the top by chance. Despite our weakness, God has crowned us with glory and honor. Disney is wrong. We don't discover this worth inside ourselves, but by looking to God, by seeing his majesty, his might, and his wonder, and being humble to think, wow, God has chosen us? And get this, it's not just a handful of us. It's not the most beautiful, the most well-educated, the most skilled. It's not just the Elsas and the Moanas and the Simbas of our generation. This is all of humanity. This is why the Bible is so, so foundational to how we are to view other people around us. Irrespective of whether they are Christian or not, Psalm 8 makes it clear that we do not look down on other human beings made in God's image. Nor do we elevate those who fit into the cultural norms. 
social pathways of like being strong and smart and beautiful. Interesting evolutionary lines. Psalm 8 breaks through that. He says, no, we respect all. We treat all with dignity. No matter their gender, their ethnicity, their class, their able-bodiedness, their age. And as Christians particularly, as God's people, we really need to grasp this. Because we know God. And we are called to sing Psalm 8. See, the challenge for us is this. Some of us may sometimes have a tendency to look down on others who aren't like us. Who don't have the same level of, I don't know, what it could be. Education, job status, however you want to define it. We can slip into that sort of thinking. And Psalm 8 says, look, don't do that. If you look to God, you realize we are all tiny, weak creatures who don't deserve it. And yet God has called us all to be his kingly creatures. Others of us may feel that tendency to feel unworthy. You might be sitting here this afternoon thinking, I feel rubbish. I feel like people should look down on me. But I want to encourage you, that is not right. Listen to verse 5, because God has crowned you in glory and honor. You are valuable to God and his creation. But I'll come back to the psalm. It's not just about our status as human beings, but our responsibility. In verse 6, it says, You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Humanity is called as those crowned in God's honor and glory to serve, to care for, to look after God's creation. Verses 7 to 9, all those lists of animals, it kind of goes from the tame animals in the farmyard to the wild ones in the Amazon forest. From eagles that soar to anglerfish right at the bottom of the deepest ocean. All of creation is under our rule as humanity. See, we've been given that responsibility as his vice kings, as sort of his prime ministers, to act and rule on his behalf. Caring for, being generous to, and blessing God's creation. That is the privilege we have as humankind. Did you see how this psalm works? It focuses on God's majesty, and the second half of the psalm is saying, look, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth that you have made us, weak human beings, as your crowning glory in creation, like a glorious diamond that stands out among the jewels, that you've given us responsibility to reflect your glory and honor. And as you sing that psalm, you start to think, surely we don't deserve this. And actually, you're right. We really don't. Take a step back and look around us. And you get the sense that not everything's as rosy as this psalm sounds. See, if we are set as God's vice rulers, we seem to be doing a pretty bad job at it. We look around us at this so-called kingdom that we're supposed to rule over, and it seems so broken, doesn't it? We don't tend to creation as we should. Environmental issues, most likely caused by us. Good witness of that. Battles, wars, and riots rage all around the world. We saw a lot of that this weekend. There is rebellion and division across humanity. There is so much that seems to be wrong. Creation seems to be broken under our rule. And that should make us reflect on us as individual human beings. And we start to realize, actually, we don't tend to the world and to people as we should. Man, do I see that in my own heart. Too often we take our God-given responsibility to rule and we abuse it and take advantage of others. Too often we abuse God's great gifts that he's given to us and use them for selfish gain, often at the expense of others. 
Too often we ignore God's call to care for creation and for other human beings because we're too busy caring for ourselves. And the Bible makes it clear there is a reason for this. The reason is us. Right from the beginning, humanity, made in God's image, given the privilege and responsibility to rule, took their God-given authority and abused it. They used their freedom to try and usurp the true king. Essentially, they started a rebellion. That is what the Bible calls sin. And ever since then, the image of God has since been marred. And we've followed that pattern ever since. We constantly usurp God and want to be our own gods. Instead of ruling under his good rule and guidance, we rule under our own heart's desires for ourselves. And we don't live the way we should. We don't fulfill the function that we should in ruling creation rightly as God desires. And I think that's why so often we don't treat people with the dignity and respect that they are due as made in God's image that I spoke a few minutes ago. Our fallenness makes us have almost selective vision with people. See, everything around us today is a fallout of our rebellion against God. And that is why as you read Psalm 8 and you keep reading it, it should start making us think and pointing to a single person. This is the final thing. Humanity is made majestic in Christ. That is where we end up. Because Psalm 8 points us to the one who truly fulfills this psalm, to a man called Jesus, to the Son of God who came to be a little lower than the angels, born as an infant in full and utter weakness and vulnerability. Remember what I just said about weak things that God uses for his glory? And this infant only had praise of God on his lips, who was soon coming to silence God's enemies. And Jesus, as a grown man, he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he heads for the temple to his father's house, what does he find? He finds traders strewn all over it. People abusing their authority to rule, living for themselves. And so Jesus goes and he drives them all out. And then what happens then is these children, they start shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The Jewish leaders at the time, they're furious. They hear this. Jesus, do you realize what these kids are saying? They are calling you the son of David, the Messiah, the king that we've been waiting for. Look at you. You're a weak, frail carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there. You need to tell them to be quiet. And in that moment, you know what Jesus does? He quotes Psalm 8. In Matthew 21, 16, he quotes this. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. That's verse 2 of this psalm. And then what do you hear? Silence. The chief priests, the, the human enemies of God at the time, are utterly silenced by the praise of children. Do you see what Jesus is saying? This man from Nazareth is saying, look, I am God. I am the Lord that you have been waiting for. This psalm is all about me. Here is the Son of God, fully divine, who was there in the beginning, painting the stars in the sky with his fingers, who has come to silence his enemies through the mouth of children and infants. And how does he do that? Well, Psalm 8 is later again quoted in Hebrews 2, and it's worth reading these verses. They're going to appear on the screen. In a minute. There we go. Let me read this. Do you notice the first half is exactly from this psalm. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? 
a son of man that you care for him. You have made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. That's the frustration that we see as human beings. Not everything is subject to our rule. But look at verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. See, right now we don't see everything subject to humanity. We see the brokenness of everything that's happened from the fallout. Our original rule is broken. But we do see Jesus. The Son of God, who came in the flesh, made a little lower than the angels, fully man, just for a little while, who would come to suffer death for us. See, if humanity was the crown jewel of God's creation, as Psalm 8 says, death is the crown jewel of sin and decreation. And Jesus came to take on that crown of decreation, to take on the crown of thorns that was meant for us upon himself, so that we might be free from the chains and the result of sin, from death itself, so that we instead would be redeemed and freed into life as God intended, crowned in glory and honor as God had called us to be. That is the good news that Lily was pointing to right at the start of the service. Do you see, it's because of Jesus that we can sing Psalm 8 and say, this is true for us today. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your name is majestic because you are mighty in creation. It's majestic because you made us a little lower than the angels. But it's most majestic because of Jesus, who made a way for us to be restored back to God, crowned in honor and glory to reign with him today and into eternity. Let me like, tie this all up for us. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, do you know the frustration of this world? And do you realize why that's happening? God made creation glorious. And he made humanity glorious to rule on his behalf, but it's all gone wrong. Our inherent dignity is not enough. We are all fallen. Our image in God is marred. And that is why I'd love you to see the wonder of Jesus. Of God who comes in the flesh, made a little lower than the angels, who comes to forgive us in a rebellion, to give us new hearts and new hope in his kingdom. To redeem you and I, to restore us back in the fullness of God's image, so that we might rule and reign with Christ again into eternity. If you're not following Jesus, can I urge you to consider turning to him today? Will you put your trust in him and come into his kingdom? For others of us who, who would say, I do follow Jesus, that I'm a Christian this afternoon, then I would love us to be singing this psalm throughout this week. Pray it in the morning or in the evening. Wonder and gaze at the glorious and mighty God and his creation. But praise God all the more. For Jesus, who has restored and redeemed us to our rightful place as God's glorious creatures by becoming unglorious for us. And I, and I pray that that would actually fuel us to actually live for Christ, to want to display his glory, that we would actually sort of act as rulers as we should in looking after his creation. I pray that would fuel us to be salt and light in the world, 
that we would honor God in the way we live, in the way we work, in the way we socialize and play, so that people visibly hear us and they visibly see us living Psalm 8. I pray that it would fuel us to care for God's creation, to serve it rightly. I pray that it would look, make us look upon others as those made in God's image and treat them and love them as Christ does. That it would change the way we notice people, talk to people, treat people. And I pray that as we live in that way, that we would display God's honor and glory as Christ did. As the crown in his creation. Humbly serving those around us and serving his creation. I pray that we can live that way for his glory. Amen. Let me, let, let's pray together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, may that be the words on our lips this week. As we sing those words, may we, may we be reminded of your glory in creation. But all the more, may we be reminded of your glory in Christ Jesus, who has restored and redeemed us. Who has put us and set us right in your image to live and rule and reign with him in glory. Father, help us to see that beauty and that wonder and to live that out as his people. Displaying your glory and honor in the way we live, the way we walk, the way we work, the way we talk. And we pray this all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,